morning, Pray that God will speak through me. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So happy new year to everyone. Uh, this seems to become a bit of a tradition. This is sort of my annual slot, the first weekend, the weekend around New Year. And uh, something I look forward to, I really enjoy it, and I'm uh, really thankful for this opportunity. And as Ingrid alluded to earlier, I'm particularly thankful that I'm here to give this sermon. As uh, many of you may be aware that um, three weeks ago I had a bit of a heart scare. It led me to discover that uh, one of my major coronary arteries was really close to being fully blocked off. And I was probably on the cusp of a major heart attack. But God was merciful to me and others. And I, he gave me the warning and I was able to have a stent inserted which opened up the artery and um, I'm still here. Yeah, the fact that I came so close to potentially dying was quite a shock to a lot of people. Probably more so for those who were close to me than it was to me, to be honest. Um, as I was having my angiogram, the cardiologist noted that he was quite surprised that I, was, that I seemed so relaxed about it all. Now, I'm not a natural evangelist, and usually when opportunities like that come up, I go, oh, I missed that. But uh, this time I did say something. I said that something, I can't remember the exact words, but something like, I'm a person of faith and I know that God will look after me. And even if he does decide to take me home, in instead, I know where I stand before him. Now, as I think about that, I think, you know, I could have worded that a little bit better, maybe. But uh, one thing I did get was a chance to state the fact my confidence in God for salvation. It's worth bearing in mind at that point, we didn't actually have a certain solution to the health problems. We only knew how bad they were. <laughs> Nonetheless, I was feeling confident that God had everything under his control. Please understand, I'm not someone who has an extraordinary faith. In fact, I'm probably someone who struggles to step out in faith a bit. But I do know what God has promised, and I know that his promises are rock solid. What about you? Are you sure of your salvation? If you were to die today, do you know where you would stand before God? Well, this week we're starting a short sermon series on the book of 2 Thessalonians. This is one of the letters that was written by the Apostle Paul to a people who, as you saw from the, that, that second Bible reading, they were undergoing persecution, and so Paul wished to encourage them. He's excited to see that despite the persecution they're under, they are growing in their faith. As we'll see, this means that they, as they endure trials because of their faith, they can be confident that whatever's going on, they're assured of their status before God, and they can know that whatever happens to them, their future is certain. As we, in this sermon, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we'll see that we can have that same confidence, and that makes a world of difference to how we live our lives. Well, as mentioned before, as you all know, today is the first day of January, a time when we look back at the year that's passed and look to the year ahead. So we're going to be doing the same thing with this sermon. We look today, as we uh, look at the passage today from the perspective of the Thessalonians. 
looking back to the past, seeing the backstory from Acts, as we read earlier, and from 1 Thessalonians, looking to the present, what's going on in that chapter, and then looking to the future. Well, regulars from tonight recall that uh, we had a sermon series on the book of Acts last year, and as uh, that Paul, the Apostle Paul visited the city of Thessalonica as part of his second missionary journey, as shown up on the screen there. Thessalonica is the, uh, or was the capital of the region of Macedonia. It was a very prosperous seaport. It still exists today. In fact, it's the second largest city in Greece. And we, as we read in, this, in that first Bible reading, that Paul's visit there was described in uh, Acts chapter 17. Let's have a look at some of that again says, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, uh, they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Sounds good, doesn't it? They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. But they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city of Israel. What did Paul do as a result of that? He moved on to the city of Berea, just down the road. And when people turned to Jesus there as well, the Thessalonians moved up there and caused the same sort of fuss. So Paul moved on again, this time to Athens. But he cared about the Thessalonians. He was worried about how the, the, the Thessalonian Christians were faring. He was worried that some of them might have given up in light of the persecution they were facing. So he sent Timothy back there to find out how they were going and report back. Timothy did this and caught up with Paul when Paul had moved on to Corinth and he brought good news of their faith and love. Paul was really excited by this. So he wrote his first letter to the Thessalonians to encourage them as well as give them some further instructions. That letter, 1 Thessalonians, is actually one of the very earliest of Paul's letters. It was only written about 20 years after the crucifixion. Paul praised them for being brave and not giving up on their faith. He reminded them that God had chosen them. And their ability to stand firm during persecution, that wasn't their own, it came from God. He also gave them instructions about how to live in order to please God and taught them about Jesus' second coming. And this second coming was really important as they looked to the future particularly when you're bearing in mind that their present lives were quite a struggle. Timothy and Silas, they went back to Thessalonica again, carrying this letter. and returned back to Corinth a few months later and reported back to Paul how that letter had been received. And so, to Thessalonians was Paul's response to that report. He wanted to do three things. He wanted to further encourage the believers in their persecution. He wanted to exhort them to be steadfast and to work for a living. And he also needed to correct some misunderstandings about Jesus' return, his second coming. Now, I spent quite a bit of time setting the scene here 
the two Thessalonians. I think it's important to understand the context of why this letter was written, not only for my sermon, but also it helps you for the next couple of weeks as you read the next two chapters. So now we can finally get to this week's passage. So if you've got the Bible in front of you, read from me from verse 1, the introduction. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've read a lot of Paul's letters, they start with that, they follow that same basic format where he says, who it's from, who it's to, and then he says, g'day. And then we move on to verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. That's the title of today's sermon, Going in Faith. And the love of love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. Now, it's standard for Paul to follow up his greeting to that statement about something that he gives thanks for, for the recipients of the letter. Here, he's honing in on their faith and their love. Paul is really encouraged that both are growing despite the challenges of the persecution they're enduring. He's particularly focused on this with the Thessalonians because in the first letter to them, he notes that their faith and their love was a model for other churches in the region. So if you can flick back to chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes that Timothy has just now come back to us from you and brought good news in your faith and love. So, look at verse 10 there. Paul wants them to grow in both their faith and love. In verse 10 it says, Night and day we pray most earnestly we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. And if you duck down to verse 12, he says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. So when Paul in, in 2 Thessalonians is saying what he says, it's really exciting because he's saying it's an answer to prayer. In 1 Thessalonians he's saying he's praying that God will increase their faith and love. And then in 2 Thessalonians he's saying he thanks God that your faith and love is growing. Praise God for that. And it's my prayer that God will do the same for us here at Tenebus, increase our faith and love. So please join me in praying that God will increase our love for each other and our faith in Him. Okay, moving on to verse 5, back in 2 Thessalonians. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. What Paul's saying here is that God has judged the Thessalonian Christians as worthy of being saved. And so he hasn't left them to their own resources, but he has provided them with the strength to endure. And this in turn has provided spiritual and moral character in the Thessalonian Christians. We see in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 5 on the screen there, where he says, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our heart through the Holy Spirit, 
figure out it's really given to us. So the hard times that the Thessalonian Christians were experiencing was actually growing their faith. We've seen this again and again throughout history. When the church is persecuted, it is forced to trust God more, and consequently it grows. We've seen this happen in a spectacular way last century in China. Many of you would know that uh, what's happened there. And it was estimated that in 1949, when the Cultural Revolution happened in China and Mao Zedong tried to destroy the church, it was estimated there was something like 700,000 Protestant Christians in that country. Everything closed down. 1976, China started to open up again. And we first thought, oh no, the church is gone. It's disappeared. In reality, it got on the ground and thrived. And estimates put this, this is just staggering, put the number of Christians in China today at somewhere between 100 and 200 million Christians. Isn't that exciting? You persecute the church. We, however, in our country, we're in a society that values comfort. Can't we? May we, as God's people, not get too comfortable but be forced to put our trust in Him. It's then that we will truly see God's love and power at action in our lives. Now, I want to come back to that and think about what it means to grow in faith at the end of the sermon. But for now, let's continue on, looking at verse 6 and, and, and beyond. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing power, fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with an everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people. And he marveled at among those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony to you. Now, whenever we're doing something difficult or something you have to endure, it's always easier when the end is in sight. It's always much harder when it never seems to end. Are we there yet? Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians that the end is indeed in sight. There will come a day when all of this when God will bring it all to an end, he will bring relief. Better still, it's not just the end of relief, he brings eternal life with him. Not the end of suffering, but the start of perfection, and not just the end of suffering. It's for this reason that Jesus' second coming was of great interest to the Thessalonians. There is relief in sight. And so much of Paul's letters to this first one and the second one both this, this second one and the first one, all of it was addressing this topic. But we need to remember one important thing. When Jesus comes again, he will come in judgment. He will not only gather in his people with him to eternity, but he will also punish those who reject him. Have a look at verse 8 again. He will punish those who do not know God and do, and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean those who have never heard of him. 
but those who refuse to recognize him. Verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll look at next week, it says that people perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. The gospel is an invitation, a royal invitation. And so and, and that requires acceptance. You have to RSVP to this one. I know it's not very popular in this society, but you have to RSVP to this one. Rejection is disobedience to that, that invitation. It says in verse 9 that God's punishment for all of those who reject him is everlasting destruction. That doesn't mean complete annihilation. It seems to exist. That would make no sense in the context of the rest of the verse. But what it does mean is exclusion from the Lord's presence. You could translate it to complete ruin. See how the verse notes, being shut out of the presence of the Lord. Eternal banishment from God's presence is the penalty of sin. And that is the essence of hell. But that is not the fate of the Thessalonian Christians. It's the exciting bit. Have a look at verse 10. On that day, as judgment day, he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among those who have believed. This includes you because you believe the testimony to you. Did you see there how Jesus is glorified? He is glorified in his holy people. In other words, as Christians are presented before the throne of Jesus and declared holy because of what Jesus become, has done for them, they become Jesus' glory. If you're a Christian, then you are Jesus' glory. Jesus is going to be showing you off the Father. See this person? They're mine. We see in John 17, verse 10, on the screen now, that when Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to the Father, All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and the glory has come to me through them. Just to be clear, this is not because of what either you've done or not done, because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Sorry to say it, but you're not glorious now, and neither am I. But you are declared glorious because Jesus makes you so by taking the punishment that was due to you upon himself. Paul then finishes off this section with a prayer. Read with me verses 11 and 12. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that... Our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul prays that God may make you worthy of his calling, there's no uncertainty there. Verse 5 of our passage today has already declared that you will be declared worthy. So this prayer can be summarised as, God, your will be done. In the same way when Paul prays that God will bring to fruition every good deed prompted by faith, 
we need to remember that God initiates every good purpose and every act prompted by faith. So when Paul's praying this, he's basically praying that God will bring, him, bring his will to the full fulfillment. Okay, now we move on to the third part of the sermon. We've looked at the backstory to this passage. We've looked at the passage and now we look forward to the future. As the Thessalonian Christians dealt with the suffering and persecution that they were enduring, it was important that they looked beyond their present circumstances to see the certainty of their future, eternal life with Jesus. Now, it's important to recognise this is not something that was very specific. We can't just say this is just, just, just about them. All Christians have the same future. We can see in the writings of the Apostle Peter, the Bible, the one Peter, the Bible book of one Peter, was originally written to Christians in the northern part of Turkey, or what was called Asia Minor. They too were suffering for, from persecution for their faith. And Peter wanted them to have the same confidence in their salvation. So if we look on the screen there, you'll see 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that can never spoil, perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, through, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. See the parallel there? They too are suffering persecution. They too need that assurance of their, that there's at least a hope for a better future for them, the assurance of salvation. And there's no maybes there. There's no, oh, if you're good enough, if you have enough faith, if you never doubt. No, no this. On your strength, on your own strength, none of you are good enough. None of you have enough faith. And you all doubt too much. And, and, and all those are the same for me. That's what makes us so amazing, so wonderful. Where we simply don't measure up. God in his love has done it all for us in Jesus. Which means our eternity is locked in for heaven. That's why the Apostle John, in his first letter, wrote this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope for, know that you have eternal life. There's no suggestion here that you might retain, gain eternal life if you meet certain criteria. If you believe in Jesus and trust in him for salvation, then you can be assured of this. And that brings us back to an important question that I posed at the start of this sermon. Can you be assured of your salvation? When I had my heart problem a few weeks ago, I'd already prepared my notes for writing this sermon. So these verses were all in my head. I had that reminder that as I was facing possible death, my eternity in heaven was already locked in. The Christians in Thessalonica they were growing in their faith as they understood the same thing. It's my prayer that you'll have the same confidence. If you're struggling in life now, 
If you're worried that 2023 will be yet another difficult year for you, then be assured that if you put your trust in Jesus, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Your troubles will end. You will get to spend eternity with Jesus. Place of no more pain, no more crying. And that's a promise. God's promises, as I said before, are rock solid. Now, if you're here and you don't know that assurance because you've never put your trust in Jesus, if you see no hope for the future, then please come and talk to me or one of the other elders after the service. We'd be delighted to talk to you. Let's pray. Lord God, we recognise that we don't deserve your love, your salvation. Thank you that you love us nonetheless and you died on the cross for us, taking upon yourself the punishment that should have been ours. Thank you that we can know that our salvation is assured. May we now live our lives in that assurance, living lives in obedience to you. Not to earn our salvation, but to honour and to glorify you.